it sounds uh it sounds like there's some trauma bonding as a as former <laughs> army guy you probably appreciate that right oh 100 man shared <laughs> hardship that's how you build bonds get in the gig pit all players low down Welcome to the merge where we make sense of defense in an enjoyable way. This episode is a little weird. Jake, you and I were uh, doom scrolling, I think, on LinkedIn a week or two ago. And one of the things that was interesting is my feed started getting populated more and more with these posts with little cartoon stick figures and a bridge, a pyramid, a blue triangles. And uh, it, it was it made me laugh. It made me sad. As much smiles and cries. And so I tried to figure out like what is going on here? And so uh we 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 found the culprit, found the guy. So uh so today Jake and I are hosting John Ferry, who is famous in certain circles on LinkedIn lately for his cartoon depictions of the Department of Defense. Welcome, John. Hey, appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate and uh admire your content from the marquee side. So and actually huge fan of uh of the merge so glad to be here i'm a huge fan of your uh stick figures <laughs> yeah great stick figures no, we've never met and it was great just i just dm'd them on linkedin which usually those are all like recruiters or bots or whatever so uh thanks for for going oh this is a real person uh. i mean you're not a you're not a chinese bot trying to uh friend me so you know, it's a pretty low pass filter there, but, uh, no, happy to dive in and like, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh doctrine man. It was kind of oh, a yeah. big thing. Oh yeah. Steve Leonard, yeah. Yeah. Great, great content, slightly different genre, but similar, um, graphic arts approach. Like, I don't know. It just seemed, it seemed like fun. I'm happy to give it the backstory on uh, Chinese bots trying to catfish you on LinkedIn. Um, what I always like to say is if you're not being catfished by Chinese bots, is the thing you're working on, does it even matter? It clearly does. <laughs> it's sad but true, I think, is the way to put that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know you've yeah. hit it when you, when you start getting, uh, you know, the what is the, the honey pot, the honey traps and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. what's going on now? Yeah. They are great talent scouts. I mean, you could probably create a <laughs> solid venture firm just tracking who they're going after most closely because they're better than most venture firms. It's free DD, right? Absolutely. For, for those of you not aware, uh, John, you give us a quick intro of your background. Former Army, s- president of some company, now a CEO of Rogue. Great website, by the way, userogue.com. Uh, give us a little bit of background of kind of where you're coming from, and then we can dive, uh, dig into your uh, your spicy takes. We like people yeah. with spicy takes. No, no worries, man. I, I, I feel that I've uh, established a persona of not being reserved about my spicy takes, so I'm happy to share them verbally as well. So my background, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, I would say nonlinear path. So joined the Army, straight out of high school, went to basic training at Benning on my 18th birthday, infantry, airborne, graduated as a SF-18 um, Bravo, so weapons sergeants, uh, about 20. Uh, I was a guard guide, so I came back to D.C., which is where my parents were. So um, kind of two options for a ground pounder, go do security or get into GovCon. So I got into GovCon. A buddy of mine got me into Jiedo back when that was a big deal, back in the 2007 time frame, back when IDs were a big deal. Um, so I learned the weird world of three-year colorless money, which just never seemed to come back. Um, but like straight you know, firehose intro to what acquisition means, uh, done the normal way and the very abnormal way. From there, I got pulled. Well, from there, I, I took a trip overseas, did the job in Afghanistan, came home, did five years in the Pentagon, uh, supporting the G33, uh, did PPB&E, so made budgets and spent budgets. And then I spent a couple of years building POMs. Uh, so I built a couple of the first POMs for a couple of program elements for the uh, Army Cyber Mission Forces when those things got stood up. And then another buddy of mine uh, through the SF Mafia pulled me over to DARPA. So I spent about eight years at DARPA doing technology transition, specifically trying to get stuff out of the DARPA labs and into uh, Special Operations Command, which you know, kind of part of my my take is like, 
if you've never worked in sort of the S and T ecosystem within DoD, there is as much challenge crossing the valley of death from places like you know DARPA, ONR, ARL, AFRL, heck, from the rest of the government, you know, DHS, S and T, DS and T, all those S and T organizations have as hard, if not harder time getting stuff out of their labs into operational hands as, you know, the new deaf tech startups do. So that's kind of my, my frame of reference. Uh, five years ago, I bought the company I was working for. So small business was largely professional services. After taking over the company, I, I built out kind of a product side of the company. So did low risk, high payoff stuff like phase one sippers, phase two sippers, OTAs, BAAs, those types of things. So worked in that world. And then, yeah, a year ago, uh, co-founder and me, we spun out Use Rogue to bring AI to the painful, arduous, thankful, but unavoidable task of writing bids and proposals. So that, that's me in a nutshell. I had the privilege, the honor and the privilege of scoring a Afworks uh, Sibber, one of those tranches where there's a thousand Sibber proposals and you have teams and you're just, you're scoring like an 80 page proposal and like, well, if I can get everyone, each one down to three minutes and I have X hundred to do, it's like, <laughs> it's a linear function. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. And I'll, we'll get to you. We'll get to the AI product a little bit later. Uh, I want, I, you know, I think like the shit sandwich kind of works good in this case. Like let's start with the good. Let's dig into like the bad and the spicy takes, and then maybe we'll end up on a good note talking about your platform because I've seen some pretty cool stuff you have you've uh, been showing in videos on LinkedIn. Sure, I'm open book. I'm clearly candid, so I'm happy to happy to eat whatever part of that shit sandwich you want, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 you got a lot of experience, you know, inside the five sided puzzle palace and you know, DARPA and doing some other stuff. So. You know, in the in the spirit of uh, Family Guy, you know what really grinds my gears. <laughs> Even a LinkedIn spear chucker, uh, I went back and looked, and I'm like, "What is this new? Or is it just like my feed start populating it?" it sounds like you were you you had some posts you were posting, you know, periodically, but man, something something uh, really energized you lately because you've been posting like three or four times a day for like the past month. It seems like. So I've been in GovCon for what, 15 years now, right? Like love the industry, good, bad, and different. Probably one of the most uh, misunderstood, opaque, and highly regulated businesses in the country. I think it's fair to say like probably medicine, law, uh, finance, and GovCon, right? Like just by pages of regulation and law. So, um, but also the, like the way that the processes work. So if you look at the ecosystem, like, where do people converse about GovCon? They do it on LinkedIn, it just brass tacks. And frankly, from my own personal perspective, former soft guy, right? We get beaten to our heads like thou shalt not have social media. So I'm not really on a lot of platforms, but if you want to be in GovCon, like you should probably be on LinkedIn because that's where people actually converse, right? There's not a whole lot on X. There's nothing on Insta. Like it's all on LinkedIn. And so I've been fairly reserved for quite a long time, particularly while I was supporting you know, government customers, you don't necessarily want to kind of step out of line. Um, but, you know, now that I'm running my own companies and particularly since I started with Rogue, um, I've had more opportunity to meet other GovCon companies where they are, not under the auspices of like, hey, let's have a first, second cup of tea, figure out whether or not we can team on something, put together a TA and go kill a buffalo. More like, hey, these are the problems I'm having. I'm having these problems. Can your thing help me with my problems, right? Like, and meeting those folks under those auspices and trying to understand their problems better. Number one, saw a lot of mirroring of my own, like blood, sweat, and tears, earning the knowledge through um, repetitious blunt force trauma. What just came to me was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of knowledge, right? There's a lot of institutional knowledge, a lot of like, business art that goes into doing government contracting effectively. There's a lot of people who have a lot of that knowledge. A lot of that knowledge is not freely shared. Now you can look at like, there's some folks who are great in the space and have a phenomenal amount of information they share with you. Like, you know, here's how you do BD. Here's how you do GovCon. There's some great pods out there. There's some great resources. They're phenomenal and great people who are doing that work. I've got great recommendations for people who are trying to learn that game. 
but it's all really like structured and very like straight lace and nobody comes out and like, yo, it's actually really hard to do this stuff. Like it's actually brutal. And you know, your LinkedIn feed is full of all the like, oh my gosh, congratulations to such and such tech company that just got a phase three Air Force Sibber for $75 million. It's amazing. Nobody sees the like 75,000 folks who got like a phase one Sibber and then never went anywhere after that. Yeah, like 0.1% or something or get like phase threes. It's like a, it's like its own weird small business unicorn. <laughs> Dude, yeah, that's brutal. How many selected but not funded do you have? Because I got a stack of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds uh, it sounds like there's some trauma bonding as a as former <laughs> army guy. You probably appreciate that, right? <laughs> oh, 100%, man. Shared hardship. <laughs> That's how you build bonds. Get in the gig pit. I'd pay a million dollars just to to see and like have videotape of the moment when, you know, like a dozen founders get the selected not funded message. Right. It's like, what the f is like you just it'd be a, just an entourage of people throwing shit against the wall. <laughs> all those reaction videos. You splice them all together. Oh, yeah. Wait, it'd be amazing. It'd be like the five cycles of grief where like the first one, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. By the 15th, they're just like, oh, another one. OK, well, I guess I'll go back to doing it. I had a company when I was scoring. And actually, I think I did two series of Sibbers that I volunteered to score. I didn't learn my lesson on the first one, so I volunteered again, and it was just like avalanche of sivers. No deed goes unpunished. Yeah, you know, and I, and I went back, and it was like two months later, something like it was a long, it was so much time I had forgotten completely about it. Well, I get a, an email one day, and it's like, hey, did you score this sivir? Like, uh, yeah, I think maybe. Why? Like, well, your name's on it, and they're contesting the the uh, decision, so we need you to validate your score I'm like, I, I spent like three minutes looking at this like three months ago amongst a pile of like hundreds of them like what, what do you want me to tell you man like i, I don't <laughs> i went through a very thorough and methodical process to read the first paragraph of the cover sheet and then move to the next one yeah dude, I and as I will say, because they're all structured the same you know like the three sections you need to go just like skip all the the fluff and just read these three sections like in this middle of the page and you go okay i got an idea and you put it in the maybe pile or the no pile or whatever I, but that's the <laughs> mike that's the quiet part out loud that folks know, go, <laughs> is like well that like oh that but that's only for sibbers right no dude like that's for your big mac idiq task orders too the same thing they've got a source selection committee someone gets a stack of paper on their desk with a spreadsheet to put in numbers and they go, okay, well, I'm going to skip down to the technical proposal. I'm going to skip down to the part where they tell me what they're actually going to do, not all the boilerplate fluff. And then I'm going to give it a, a you know, an up or down. And then I'm going to mix, you know, to the next one because I got 400 of these things to do. Same thing goes on the industry side. <laughs> there is one, uh, one of these, and I distinctly remember it. Uh, and I, and on this one, I forgot what I was supposed to be scoring. Like, the, like the technical section, you don't even score the whole thing. You score parts of it. Yeah. So like, I think I was like a, uh, a technical section review or something. And I was reading the technical description and I was like, what's going on here? It was like aerial, like innovative aerial delivery platform. And, and you know, here's all the value propositions. Like, Oh, and here's the technical approach. Like, what, what is this thing? And I actually scroll, I scroll back up and look at the proposal and it was like, I'm not making this up. It was a Cessna 172 with just a new door. No, like, come on. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't score that section, but man, you really you really knocked it out of the part with the technical description because man, you were wowing me for a second. <laughs> well, this is those little spicy takes. Uh you had a you had a really funny LinkedIn uh blog about GovCon merit badges. Oh yeah. I and that's actually I'll, I'll give a, a preview to your listeners only. That's gonna be kind of one of the next segments in the stick figure mania is there is a epic ton of merit badges and it almost seems like it's this like um if you've ever done like land nav where you don't get your next point until you find the point right so it's like this point by point alert like oh great okay now i got my first contract good job skippy now you have this magical past performance now you can get more contracts until you have past performance you might as well just like grind until you can't grind anymore because until you have past performance you basically don't exist don't care what your technology is you got no past performance no one's going to take a risk on you 
Okay, now you got that. Now you need to get a cost plus fixed fee accounting system compliant. Like you need to get DCA audited or else you can't do cost plus fixed fee contracting. Now you need to get your CMMC 2.0 level two certification. Now you need to get your facility security clearance. Like it's these, all these different things and you take them like one at a time. You just keep getting shot in the face and they're really painful, long, expensive, arduous processes with an endless string of consultants that are more than happy to charge you to help you with them. But the quiet part out loud is that they are like the gatekeepers. They are the merit badges that prevent you from growing your company. Like, oh, you you want to be a, a a real boy in GovCon? Well, you have to have a DCA audited accounting system. Cool thing though, catch 22, no one's going to audit your accounting system until you've got a cost plus fixed fee contract because DCA doesn't have time. Same thing goes for facility security clearances. Like we're not going to give you an FCL unless you have a contract that needs an FCL. Well, how do you get a contract that needs an FCL? Well, you have to generally have a FCL. Sorry, we don't make the rules. We just make the catch 22s. And it's like, but people don't realize this stuff going in and then they start getting smacked in the face with the realities and it's super painful. So I just tried to lay them out in like one big long, here's all the, here's the ugly dude, like be prepared for it. Yeah, your your take on the people more than happy to pay to to help you. Uh, there's a little bit of the missionary versus mercenaries in the in the defense uh, GovCon space, right? And I'm not throwing shade necessarily. There's, you know, I go back to the the principle of you pay with time or you pay with money, right? Yeah. Um, and whether that's learning or effort, you pay with time or you pay with money. If you got money, you pay with money. If you got time, you pay with time. And Unfortunately, small businesses basically usually have more time than money. So, is what it yeah, is. I remember uh, we had AJ Pipica on many, many episodes back, and we were talking about like just trying to get into the defense space. And you know, his he's like, man, the best thing I ever did. Step one was hire a lobbyist. So I hire <laughs> someone to help me get access to like talk to people. No, you talk about like funding and stuff. That's different. But like hiring a lobbyist to help you get access. It's like you said, pay your time or pay your money. Good bang and for your buck, lobbyists. Strong thoughts. Strong thoughts. <laughs> strong <laughs> thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's interesting. I, I worked on the hill for a little bit, so I got to see both sides of it. Like, you have a like a union that's you know fun, getting you access for meetings. You have people with their agendas. You know, everyone's got an agenda, yeah. whether it's uh, you know good, bad, or ugly. Everyone has an agenda. So. It's capitalism, man. Everyone has a personal self-interest. You just got to make sure that your others align up with theirs and everything can sing. But, uh, yeah. Cyber shops, cyber consultants, folks that help you get get your phase one, get your phase two. Are they good for the ecosystem? Bad for the ecosystem? I have already put my thoughts on paper in public, so I will... Um, I'm, not, I'm not shy about saying it. So there are folks... So let's put these in buckets, right? If you are a consultant that is going to help a small company figure out how to write a proposal and get it in, I don't have a problem with that. Again, it goes down to paying with time or paying with money. If you're gonna accelerate my process and I'm gonna pay for it, fair and equitable amount of money, cool. And you know what, that's mirrored on the regular GovCon side, right? There's massive shops of folks that are proposal consultants, right? I've paid for them, they're, they're great folks. Uh, no shade on that, right? That's a good business. Um, that sounds here. like a, a necessary need in the market, right? It, there's a market failure. There's there's a market fill. So I'm good with that. Um, there are the folks that, um, and I'm familiar with some of them, that they don't necessarily do much or any of the research or development themselves. They have government contracting companies they go out and find maybe dual use or non-DOD related companies and they kind of bring them in and they sit on top of them and they do a you know teaming agreement and they put in a cyber proposal and they kind of sort of act as pass-throughs, right? They take a tax on top, but they bring this, this stuff in. And, you know, if you look at it from the point of view of, you're bringing in non-traditionals, you're increasing the DIB, you're bringing in dual-use technology. I can see that, right? As long as, again, you're doing it sort of ethically, um, there, there's a play for that. The, the places that are, I think, what everybody 
not just me, are throwing shade on is we live off of Sibbers. We go from one Sibber to another Sibber. We have some government customers that are more than happy to spend their Sibber money on us. And we do like hundreds of Sibbers. And our business is not in turning that Sibber technology into products that the government can then buy and use and deliver to the operational force. Our business is to get the next Sibber. And frankly, this is not unique to Sibbers, right? There are more than enough places that call themselves um, contract research houses. Some of them are incredibly large and their business is winning research contracts, doing research for the sake of research, and then putting that research on the shelf. And they don't productize it. That's not unique to Sibber. That's across a number of different organizations and whatnot. Do they do great research? Sure, they do phenomenal research. But is that net good for the DOD? Is that net good for the operator? I got strong thoughts. I think it's poor. I think it's bad. I, I knew a guy, I knew an engineer who worked at one of those. Um, he moved on to another company and he was telling us, he's like, oh yeah, he's like, everyone, every engineer in the company has a quota of how many cyber proposals they have to write. I'm like, what? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, we had to, you said to write five and submit. It was just a, you know, a numbers game. It's a mill. Yeah. And that, and like you're, you on the government side, you're getting a thousand cyber proposals that you have to spend three minutes churning through. Just by numbers, what, 80% of those are from folks who are just going from one research contract to another? Come on. Yeah. Jake, you had a you had a uh, an experience on a set of small business. You have your your three, you know, three year period of performance or something on an R and D contract, and then you know what happens at the end? Like nothing, right? So Yeah. I mean in the I, I don't know if this is the the story you're you're recalling, but I was talking with a founder who was working with a lab. And that lab is associated with a specific buyer on the other side of the house or is theoretically supposed to be associated with the PEO. And after he had done, you know, two or three years worth of research, this is successive Sibbers to advance his technology, has a lot of traction, he thinks, uh, goes to talk to the PEO. And the PEO had never heard of him and, in fact, was working with another company working in a similar space, just like zero communication between the snt side and the acquisition side of the house this is a different story but equally tragic no, I mean, this story is actually much worse because this story is i'm at an event that is a tech transition event so they've invited a couple vcs <laughs> That's and even worse. okay to talk about how they can get tech out of the lab and yeah, we're like sitting oh, around Jesus. a round table having a discussion and there's one or two senior researchers there and they're running through like a spreadsheet they have on screen of like stuff they have patented in the last couple of years that they think is commercializable. And uh, I can't remember what we're talking about. I think we're talking about like a high temperature, high pressure valve or something this one researcher had created for, you know, a particular nuclear reactor design, which, you know, God bless you if you can find a, a buyer for that outside, like the one company that this reactor thing has been designed for. This is one of the ones he's highlighting. And, uh, I don't remember who That's the, the top of his list, right? That's at the top yeah, of mean, the commercialization list, right? Oh, to totally. I mean, 100% was it towards the top. <laughs> Not should Sam for that one. <laughs> this one. <laughs> one every 20 years. <laughs> they had to edit it down. So he's like showing us his edited commercializable technology. And at the end, I can't remember, again, I don't remember who asked. It might have been me. It might have been somebody else. It was basically, okay, so if I license this high temperature, high pressure valve, how much of your time do I get in the next year or two as I'm trying to build a company around this technology? And the answer was zero, zero hours of my time. I am a researcher. I've moved on. I'm doing my next thing. I don't want to build companies. You get zero of my time. And to be honest, like at the end of the day, like a patent isn't worth much. I mean, especially if the technology is particularly compelling, you need the researcher, you need the people who built it to really understand how to work with it, how to implement it. Um, yeah. Sad state of affairs, but I'm sure he's I mean, building the next greatest valve. The, the next valve for probably the underwater space station, right? Something like that. <laughs> it's the it's the latch, the connector that clicks that holds the the laser to the shark. That's what he's designing. <laughs> it's, I mean, that, it's that that is it's that graph laser critical. latch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but we're gonna I get mean that hate I mean, mail from some. We're gonna designer, get so sure. much hate mail, and the, wow. the S and T organizations. My my friends at DARPA are gonna hate me for this. That's fine, but no, I mean that like. But this is the thing: is like that's not unique. That that is not the exception. That's the the norm, right? That's the rule for. And frankly, like, let's just be candid. If you go and you talk to any operational unit that has an S and T organization, right? Go to Army, Navy, Air Force. Go to DHS, go to CIA, go anywhere that has their own S&T shop. All of the ops folks hate the S&T folks and none of the S&T folks seem to care. Yeah, that sounds right. That should should be kind of telling, right? Because the S&T folks are in the lab and they're building the next best mousetrap. And, you know, the folks in the field are like, I don't even have mice. This is a fight with a wolf. Like, where are your wolf traps? Oh, well, see, you know, we'll think about wolf traps later, but right now we're really in on this really interesting, innovative mousetrap, so we'll, we'll let you know. Maybe it'll scale, though. Maybe the mousetrap will scale to get wolves. We'll see. That'll be on a phase three. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You had your latest one uh, that I saw, I think it was yesterday, maybe. You posted a... And you broke it up. So instead of just having your blog, we have to scroll. If you You can scroll fast through that blog and just get the kind of play-by-play pictures which is which is fascinating but your your latest one on shortcuts of acquisition it's just like a 25 slide uh click through on linkedin and it's equally just hilarious yeah so the to to shine a little light on the back end so the way i do it and this is have you ever watched the uh, documentary and how they make south park episodes like 72 hours at south park no i've seen that oh so it's actually super interesting from like a production perspective they make their south park episodes basically the week prior to them airing live so they make them in like 72 hours and they just push them live which is why their comedy is so fresh and super funny um so that's basically how i do the slides is I, i build out the slides um and then i take those slides and i write out the blog and then I publish the slides as kind of a, a tranche flipbook on LinkedIn with a link to the blog, which is just a continuously growing, massive morass. Um, and yeah, it every- is a morass. I just want to highlight that because <laughs> it's one link and then it's like it's, it's, one, it's one endless growing, scroll. There's growing, not like growing. issues or anything. It's just it there never are ends. Chapters. There's chapters. There's chapters. Are they you linked? Link through. Yeah, they're linked. Okay. But I'm not. You just so, ask GPT you to just, summarize it. You just drop the link in a. <laughs> Open I'll, I'll make a, I'll make a custom GPT for it, and then on every Friday I I stack the entire thing up. So tomorrow I'll drop it again, and it'll be something like 150 slides. And then you can just go through every Friday and see every single one of them. You know what I love is that the, the DoD's failings yeah. are so frequent that you have to be topical, like, right? <laughs> you have to do it weekly just so that you're, you're staying fresh. Hundred percent. Every time I put one out, someone's like, "Oh, but dude, you should talk about this." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's another twenty slides!" Like, the backlog is just getting ridiculous. But See, uh, so, so John, it's not it's not too early. So you know how like the you know the you probably know the background of how like uh, Doctor Man like Steve created Doctor Man, and then that became the persona that pushed out you know, the comics and stuff. It's oh, not yeah. it's not too late. You could probably uh, probably create this like alter ego. And create like another LinkedIn profile that's just that, and then just do like the spicy posting. I have definitely thought about it. I've definitely thought about it. So the next thing is going to be my uh, my self published book. I'm going to make it a, a coffee table book that I want to see guerrilla marketed throughout the Pentagon, and that will be my market success. That it it becomes like the um, the Gideon Bible of every Geo SES's um, you know entry room because it's been gorilla dropped there. That's my objective. Just put just putting it out there to the to the community. It'd be something like we had Norm Augustine on um, a couple episodes ago. Man, fantastic human. And okay. uh, his book, you know, he wrote it as uh, kind of being a little bit missive and people was like, this is great. Because again, <laughs> the best comedy has elements of truth to it. And maybe it could be that. It's like, even the book design, you got to think through like, how can I make this even book design so just draconian just to open it just to open the cover it should have like seven different types of like latches and fasteners i'm totally gonna put an x09 lock on the front (laughs) (laughs) oh that'll be hilarious oh man i could totally do that (laughs) if you're gonna 
put this out as like a book are you gonna like you're gonna have somebody do like the art or something for it it's like no dude that's part of the joke i literally make these in powerpoint like this is the life that we leave here like it's not sexy it's literally just microsoft office tools that that's all you get in govcon basically doesn't get better than that yeah i was uh the company i work now like oh we we have all these different tools and like, oh, if you can use this, then you can use that. I'm like, oh, I just, I just open a PowerPoint, open a blank slide. I'm like, what? I'm like, oh yeah. Like every, everything that exists in PowerPoint is a very powerful photo editing tool. It, you can do animations. It can do everything. Really? And when you're forced to just use one tool forever, like your entire adult life, you kind of learn to figure it out. You got 20,000 hours on that thing, man. It's hard to switch. I don't yeah. need Canva. I got PowerPoint. It's okay. That's right. I, I, I signed up for Canva. I was like, I, I'm faster in PowerPoint. Yeah. I'm going to cancel this thing. 100%. <laughs> so, all right. So we, you put a lot of content out lately. What, I mean, this takes time, obviously. So like, what, how much time are you committing to this? And like, isn't your co-founder like, Hey, uh, John, like really, I mean, we need to get back to work at some point. So I do do a lot of work, right? So I'm, I'm running two companies, one of which is a B2B SaaS. So, you know, the hashtag startup life. Um, I also have five kids. So like, there's not really any downtime at all. Um, but no, like to your point, like I'm pretty good at PowerPoint. So it takes me maybe an hour to whip out a, a section of slides and then another like 30 minutes to crank out the blog, like on a Saturday evening. And then, you know, one, two, skip a few, I put it live on Tuesday. So it's not that bad. And frankly, I kind of take the, um, the Alex Hormozy approach to, um, advertising, if you will. So I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to pay to talk to people, right? If people want to hear what I have to say, I should be able to give it to them for free and they should be able to get it. Hey, don't tell people that they're <laughs> listening to this episode. They might want to advertise. That's how keep, keep us going. That's fine. You, you get my content for free, Mike, you get it for free. If you want to charge them for it, that's on you, dude. Uh, <laughs> but like, but my thing is like th this, this community just needs more like just blunt, transparent talk. So if I can put this out there, it's going to be better for the community. It's going to be better for more companies, um, more defense technology companies are going to survive longer, which frankly, I think is a net critical need for the defense capabilities of the future. So if me sharing, you know, the, the resident knowledge is rattling around my brain housing group. And it doesn't really cost me anything other than 90 minutes, two hours of my time once a week. Like that, that's worth it to me. Very nuanced, well-regulated industry. What's your take on those that are, I don't want to call them tourists, but the people who are trying to get into the industry and people, we, the, everyone wants the industry to be stronger and more resilient. So we need more entrance, but then they get in they're like, Oh, this, this is, is kind of hard. Can you just change the rules? <laughs> Uh, and, and meanwhile, you're there with all the scar tissue and broken bones and everything, having to, you know, figure it out in a well-regulated industry. How do you hold both of those kind of in your mind at the same time? Yeah. Do you despise your clients? <laughs> no, I, I want, Secretly. I want them to see the light that is dark. <laughs> this is the fact, right? Like, and I, I honestly, I, I don't pull the punches. Um, now that I'm going, like I have many opinions on many things. Uh, and I have a public policy degree, so I can talk about this in erudite detail. So um, here, and I, I posted about this, I think last week, I started my post with clearing my throat. Like you're new to the game. Cool. I want more people to get into this game. It's good for the industry. It's good for um, the ecosystem. It, you know, innovation only happens in the light, in my opinion. Um, and regulated industries tend to relapse into regulatory capture and monopsony, right? And so you have monopoly on one side, monopsony on the other, and that is not good yep. for anybody. But here's my deal is we have been doing this job. We've been playing this game. This market has been largely the same since McNamara, the SecDef under what, JFK? Yeah. The game has not changed. We switched from one-year budgets to two-year budgets and then back again because two-year budgets were too hard. Like that has been the biggest change and it's never been easier, 
I mean, the number of organizations that have OTA authorities, the amount of money that is flowing through the RDT&E program elements and specifically into SBIR, like what the Air Force did by putting like all that money into AFWorks so they can like flow the cash into, you know, needed industries. It has literally never been easier to get your foot in the door in this industry. Get your foot in the door. It has also probably never been harder to keep your foot in the door because CMMC 2.0 is a huge regulatory hurdle. ATO on any kind of cloud platform, huge regulatory hurdle. NIST 800-171, 53, all those things, huge regulatory hurdles. But there's also never been such a thirst, I don't think since you know, maybe the, the Cold War, there's never been such a thirst for actual legitimate technology innovation. There's a lot of rapid acquisition during the Iraq-Afghanistan war because of IEDs, but there's never been a no kidding, we need better capabilities than there is right now. Put it under, you know, ABMS, whatever you want to call it, the big macro ideas are we need to do Ender's game against our near-peer adversaries. So, like, there's customers there, but the game isn't going to change. Sales is sales. That is my message. Sales is sales. And if I was going to go sell into healthcare or I was going to go sell into law or I was going to go sell garbage trucks to garbage men, I would figure out how those people buy their products and I would build my sales cycle around that. The sales cycle hasn't changed in DOD in 50 years. So like learn the game. If you want to win, learn the game, play the game. Stop trying to whine about the rules of the game. Nobody play, does that in football and wins a Super Bowl. Quit trying to pretend like that's going to work here. Like, learn the game and do it. I, I don't understand why people think that the government's going to change when they haven't done it in 50 years. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. And if you want to make money, that is not the winning proposition because Lord knows that legislation doesn't work through the uh, annals of Washington, D.C. fast enough for you to stay afloat. Sorry, hot take. I love it. Some would say spicy. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone, certainly not on this show, uh, just basically say suck it up. Like the rules suck. The rules might be dumb, but just learn the rules and play the game or don't play. Right. What's I mean, you got to be like Bill Belichick, right? You just got to know the rules better than anyone else. A hundred percent. Or Kobe Bryant, like study the rule book and know where those gaps it seems to exploit are. That's what we, the game in the game, right? That's a hundred percent it, man. That's a hundred percent it. And if you were doing it in any other industry, I don't care how regulated it is. That's exactly how you win, right? Like that's what the advice was four years ago. when people were trying to get into B2C SaaS, like figure out TAM, figure out PMF and like sell hard. It's simple. It's not easy. So uh, I want to pull on Jake uh, here in just a second. So John, when you're talking about, Hey, there's never been a bigger demand, um, in, a, in a generation, basically, for a demand of technical solutions to problems, whether it's uh, an offset, um, moving in a different direction, and you have a lot of new entrants with things. But I think there, there, there is a signal, obviously, from the investment community. They're investing in companies to bring forward these things. But that doesn't mean that there's a product market fit. And, and I think we're kind of alluded to it. The best product doesn't really mean anything. It's the ability to sell it. So the, the okay product that's, that's easily viable and sellable beats the best product. That's kind of sitting there with an uphill slug, you know, the whole way, but Jake, you're, you're on the investment side of this. So I know that some, uh, invest uh, some, especially venture capital, some of them is more, uh, rigorous than others. And, and you're, you know, running a defense focused VC. So how do you, how do you navigate that with, you know, knowing that not all, not all the people that are going to, are going to be winners because it's a monospony, but then you're also making a lot of bets, hoping that they're all winners. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm hoping that they're all winners. I love them all equally. I'll, I'll say that uh, <laughs> since I'm sure some of our founders listen to this. You didn't believe yeah. in them, right? Like that's the whole point. Yeah, of course. And I totally didn't mean to put you on your spot about your own uh, firms. <laughs> they can't all be winners, but we, uh, I would say that a large part of our diligence process, which is different for us than it is for firms that are investing in the commercial space, is beyond looking for product market fit. 
right? So we'll talk to the the warfighter, the end user for the company, but that's like just the surface of trying to invest in this space. Then it's, is there a requirement? Is a requirement in process? If it's in process, where is it in process? Talk to the appropriators, talk to the authorizers. Have you met the founder? Do you think that there's a capability gap here? If there is a requirement, will you fund it? Right, very different than what you do if you are investing in B2B SaaS, right? I think uh, I'm sure 99% of my colleagues do not walk the halls of the Rayburn building when they're doing their diligence. Um, but it's really important in this space because you know the winners, as you were saying, Mike, are not necessarily the ones who are building the best technology. We're trying to find the best technology. But at the end of the day, the winners are the people who have uh, technology that works well enough and has all the other special boxes checked, right? All the merit badges. Merit badges, and that's trademark John Ferry 2024. <laughs> Gotta get those merit badges. GovCon merit badge. I need like a, we should sell them on our, our firm website, just like a Girl <sighs> Scout or a Boy Scout, like sash. And your new PowerPoint picture, is it going to be like a, like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout kind of sash? Like what is it going to be? It's going to be, uh, so I'm going to try to capture both things simultaneously. Yeah, it'll be a sash with the different merit badges. I may or may not use Dolly to conjure them. Um, but I also want to touch, like, not only are there merit badges, but, like, the merit badges open up opportunity. And there are people who may or may not help you get those merit badges. And beware of... Um, I'm just going to say it the way it is, man. Like, beware of rent seekers. There's a lot of rent seekers in this market. It's There's a ton of them. And I, I think that's another thing that uh, founders might be uh, unaccustomed to is just the number of people who are happy to dip their hand in your pocket and maybe or maybe not give you value, but at least they sell it that way at the beginning. And it's, it's, it's a huge, huge secondary market. Are all the merit badges equal? Or some better than others? Um, I think actually a lot of them stack, right? So it's it's almost like a progressive thing. So if you're going to be in DOD, like you probably need to get an FCL. If you want to do anything meaningful, you need a DCA audit accounting system. You need a DCA audit accounting system to get prime cost plus fixed fee contracts. Once you get those, you need to get CPARs with exemplar ratings, right? And those things kind of stack on top of each other. And then once you get all of those merit badges stacked up, then you're really, you're a real boy, right? You can actually <laughs> you just go like Pinocchio. Was that what that was? Up, man, I don't, I don't hold back because like <laughs> until you're there, here's the other thing is you, if you're a new entrant into this market, unless you are creating a new category, which has its own difficulties, right? I can tell you all the stories from the DARPA. Unless you're creating a new category, you are generally stealing somebody else's cheese, right? You have to prove that you are providing something better, faster, cheaper, generally. You know, you have to convince the end user, the COCOM, and then you have to wind that all the way back to the program office, okay? So if you're going to do that, you are doing that and supplanting, you know, maybe a, a Fortune 500 company, maybe somebody who's been doing it for the past 10 years on a Mac IDIQ or a BPA. And so <clears throat> if it's you versus them and they have all 10 merit badges and you only have five, you're going to lose out. You're going to lose out on technical. You're going to lose out on, you know, certifications. You're not going to have, you know, purple ratings all the way down your source selection criteria, which Mike can probably uh, attest to, right? And that's, Love it or hate it. That's just the game. So might as well play it. So start playing I'm imagining that. Imagining start... a role playing game. You know, like I'm a level thirty seven <laughs> Defar's mage. What are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, a warlock. Inside a die, we're gonna roll. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's let's see if you can get through the next phase of the server. Roll the die. <laughs> I'm gonna roll the I'm die to see what my P win is. IG investigation on you, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> I have a plus seven protest. <laughs> <laughs> There's half the people listening. Actually, probably ninety percent of the people listening are like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> These guys are like nerds. You said, you've already used a hundred acronyms and and things that I've lost track of. So, uh, for those of you who are still listening, uh, this is you're just gonna have to hang on because this is a little bit of a spicy, uh, spicy episode. So, <laughs> uh, so, so John, uh, one of the, one of the things I wanted to go back to real quick. You said you know to, to you have these incumbents 
this is one of the several issues I think we have in this dichotomy. We want new entrants to come in. The incumbents have been there because they're the incumbents for a generation and they're, they're structured to be happy at like eight to 10% margins. Mm -hmm. And you have these new startups who are getting funding that are, that are looking at like, well, like I really need like 30 to 50% margins to kind of like make this all work. And they're going into a, 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 a really a, a market that has, uh, and Jake, you probably know this, you know, valuations of a defense company are like one, two times earnings, something like that. Yeah. And, and your yep. tri typical startup is like, you know, five X, 10 X, 20 X. Cause the typical startup hasn't yet mastered the, uh, the art of the cost plus contract, right? Where it's only going to be 10% margins, but I'm going to, I'm going to pump those costs up. I got to pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. <laughs> you got to you got to pump those up. What we got to pump those up. What takes twenty people will now take two hundred. <laughs> if I can just it's the like, numerator denominator thing, right? Just make the denominator bigger. What? I I shouldn't be cost cutting. I shouldn't drive for more profitability. No, no. But my selling point oh. is efficiency. Whoa, 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 Skippy, take a <laughs> slow down. That's uh, yeah. Now, and I'm going to shift this from a GNA cost pool to an overhead cost pool. Watch how this works, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> I was actually entertained. There's been a couple of interesting articles that have come out um, about the big, big primes, right? I think Fleer and maybe Lockmar recently said this publicly that like we're not doing fixed price development contracts anymore because somebody. Oh, it was it was well Lockheed, Boeing, L3 Harris, uh, I think Fleer, Northrop. Um, pretty much everyone. I didn't, I couldn't find anything open source from General Dynamics, but basically, and Raytheon I think is like on the fence. But yeah, all the primes have basically said uh, fixed price development contracts are uh, not good for business. They've gotten slaughtered on them. Well, yeah, because here's the thing, and and okay, so I'm sorry if anybody gets their hurt feelings here. Here, so in case you don't know, and you're a defense, hold on, hold on, alibi, alibi, real quick. Yeah, if you are from uh. Have the marketing budget for any of the primes, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, <laughs> Raytheon, General Dynamics, any any of them. Um, what, what John is about to say about you is John's opinions does not reflect uh, the views of the merge. And I'm more than happy to let you advertise on in the merge and I, on the newsletter. I okay. Fully, that being said, go ahead. Fully endorse that statement. <laughs> so he, here's the interesting, uh, and this kind of dovetails on what Jake said and the way that, yeah, I mean, let's, let's not make a value judgment. It's just unit cost economics, right? If, if you have a fixed price contract, right, you have unlimited potential profit and unlimited potential loss, right? It's, it's like, it's like, um, putting call options in the same deal. So if you can run, if you can sell a product to a customer at a price that they're willing to pay and you can run, you know, ultra efficient and you can drive your bottom line profit off of that top line revenue, DCAA doesn't have a problem, right? Because it's an equitable swap. You, however, have assumed all of the risk, which is what the government wants in a fixed price contract. You know what? If you're getting new to the game and you're not making a, you know, KC-36 or whatever the, the tanker fueler that they, they took a bath on, you can probably do that for a fair amount of money. We're talking millions and millions and millions of dollars in annual revenue. You can do that on, on fixed price development contracts, which by the way is what all these SIBRs are and most of the OTAs. And frankly, if you're transitioning from a SIBR or an OTA to some sort of you know initial vehicle, it's, it's probably great for you. Here's the reason why the primes are backing out of those because frankly, their, their corporate structure, the way that they build their workforce, how they are organized is frankly, optimized for cost plus contracts because they don't do little $10 million programs. They do billion dollar programs. They build freaking submarines and aircraft carriers. And there's a lot of variance in how much those things cost. So the government has to take the risk on that. We've never built this aircraft carrier before. So the government has to suck it up. If, hey, it happens to cost 12 billion instead of 10 billion, eh, it's a rounding error. So when you start having those large primes that are optimized for speculative development doing the same kind of speculative development under fixed price contracts which may or may not be appropriate 
they end up taking a bath because that's not what they're optimized for. But if you're small and you're scrappy and you're under 50 FTEs and you know company size and you're just trying to break out, the fact that they are pulling back from that market means that you get to lean in, take advantage of the opportunity that's there. I mean, this is the way that this is supposed to work in a capitalist society. If a big company is is optimizing for a different part of the market, that means that there's a vacuum for you to fill. Well, get in there. Sorry, hot take. Well, I thought it was a mildly warm take. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'd say sound economic principles. Yeah, it sounds yeah. pretty. That sounds logical to me. You yeah. thought I was going to go guns akimbo there? I'm, I'm totally. I have a measured approach. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we said we're going to do kind of the good, bad, and good, and we we went we went kind of all the way down with the spiciness. We're dialing it back up. Uh, I do want to end on a good note, though. So when you say like, hey, the it's a highly regulated market. It's difficult to navigate, and there's there's things that pop up that, that solve needs in the market. And so one of the needs I think you identified when you, you spun off and started your, uh, your AI company. So the first time I ever actually uh, heard of you, I was doom scrolling on LinkedIn as I, as I do and do my old age now. And as I was doing that, I, I saw a, a side-by-side video and videos and you're scrolling, you generally stop and I stopped and it was like one potato, two potato, three. And it was, uh, it was, I think it was chat GPT versus Bard or something. Uh, and it was, it was a post from you like, Hey, look how these things write government proposals for you. And you're like, yeah, they're okay, but they both suck. Like mine's better. <laughs> like, Whoa, what's the, what's going on here? Like great advertising by the way. <laughs> but I, I started with the, here's how you write a cyber proposal with Bard or GPT. So I gave you the value first before I gave you the, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is guerrilla marketing right here. <laughs> Cut your attention. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. So I, I'm, I'm not here to sell, but I'll just kind of give a thumbnail sketch. Um, so obviously I've, I've played this game for a long time. I've run a GovCon company. So I've, I've been the person not sleeping for four straight days writing a proposal to win a contract, which we won. So, you know, all good news. Um, but like I personally despise writing proposals. It's one of my least favorite things. Um, God bless the proposal writers and the capture managers who love to do this work. It, I find them angelic. Um, and I know some of them really well. I, I don't understand them, but I, I appreciate that they exist. Um, and so as a small business owner, it becomes like a linear function. And I, I really put this in economic terms, right? If you're gonna try to scale your company regardless of where you're starting in that scale, it becomes very much a linear function of labor to application, right? And there's kind of three sections of what you have to do in GovCon. You have to capture work, right? You have to go shake hands, kiss babies, learn your customer, meet with your end users, meet with your program offices, all those things, right? That's all in the capture. And then you have to bid, right? On that work that you've hopefully captured and shaped, and then you have to execute. Well, the more you try to scale, the more execution, you know, if you're successful, execution sucks up your time and attention. Capture, theoretically, should suck up your time and attention. But the one thing you cannot not do is bid. Because if you don't bid, no matter how wired the sole source justification is for your contract, like you have to write a document to get a contract. So that is the immutable fact of gravity in GovCon, you have to bid. So we wanted to make that suck less. Um, we built the platform around the process of proposal writing rather than like just ripping off a chat GPT and throwing some rag in the back end, which is what I think a lot of the entrants to the space are doing right now, whatever, won't throw shade. Um, but the, the, you want to list those other entrants? I think. Yeah. Uh, you just go ahead and just list it alphabetical order, preferably. Uh, if you want to just go ahead and list them right now, that'd be great. The, the list continues. <laughs> you can <laughs> hashtag AI, hashtag proposal writing, enter on LinkedIn. And there's like 12 of them. There's a new one every week. So whatever. But the difference is like, if you're a, a deaf tech startup, if you're a small business owner, if you haven't, you know, gone through 40 hours of Shipley method training, and you don't live this every day, and maybe you're actually trying to operate your company, this is not your bread and butter. So we built the platform such that anybody could use it, right? Proposal experts all the way down to, you know, your your VPs of marketing or your line operators. 
Um, but it's linear, it's built out and all the AI and all the magical data stuff is just built in the back end. So our kind of mantra is if our users ever have to craft a prompt or do any prompt engineering, um, our product is garbage and we should fail. So we've abstracted all that stuff away, made it super user-friendly, um, and accessible to anybody. And so you get access to the power of AI tailored for proposal writing without having to learn how to use the technology. When I hear what you guys are doing, I mean, I think it's great, very helpful for our portfolio companies. We we talked, John, John, and Jake. We got on the we got on the phone and talked about this earlier on a separate call. It's great, but I really feel like we should all pour one out for the folks we talked about earlier, the proposal reviewers. Who I don't know what sort of uh, proliferation of proposals we're gonna see, but assuming these tools take off, it's gonna be a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally is. I, this is like AI versus AI. Uh, there's going to be the, we have the AI proposal writers and then we're going to have the AI like scoring and, and the analyzers. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be like, which model is going to, it's a escalation of models, right? Like there's going to be the game within the game. Like I need to invest in my model so I can beat that model and, you know, increase my p wins. It's mutual assured bureaucratic destruction. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I've got the Tsar Bamba. Of course I'll win. <laughs> the only way uh, to win reference. is not to play the game. <laughs> a little tic-tac-toe. <laughs> Here's the, this is interesting because I, I was on a panel uh, yesterday with some folks over at uh, Act IAC talking about uh, AI acquisition. So like four out of the eight members of the FAR Council preceded our panel. And um, number one, what is the name of this event? And then number two, how many dozens of people were at this conference? Because that sounds the very, very sounds specific. like in the role playing game we talked about earlier. That's the like it's like the final boss is you have to face the far council, right? They're, the far council. They're all in like they brown, brown burlap robes. They decide yeah. what uh, clauses get added to the far. Yeah, that basically it. Yeah, it's a uh, bunch of monks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so ACT I Act is a it's an industry association uh, focused primarily on Fed Civ, um, mostly in like the IT and, and cyberspace, um, kind of like NDIA, but NDIA for not DoD. They're kind of one of the that analog. Um, and no, there was there's probably 200 people in the room, so not like not like a Shift Five event, but um, pretty good. And no, like, so the FAR Council, there's, for those of you who don't know and don't live in this wonk space, like the FAR, the Federal Acquisition Regulation, is like the tome that dictates how the government buys stuff. And there are like, I think there's six members of the FAR Council, one from each of the major organizations. So like NASA, GSA, DOD, right? Um, and so, yeah, so they talked about this topic specifically was like, one, how do they buy AI? Two, what are the issues that are coming up from industry that are gonna affect the way they buy AI and how they buy things generally? One of the questions that came up um, was like, okay, so AI proposal writers are a thing. What are you thinking about like mandatory disclosures for AI created content in proposals? Because there have already been agencies that have like required disclosure or they've dequeued proposals due to GPT content. So that's probably going to get put into some sort of regulatory framework. But to your question specifically, Mike, Jake, um, bottom line is the government's already using this stuff to do their acquisition side of the house. So if you go to like tradewindai.com, very famously, the stuff that gets published on there by CDAO out of the DOD, like half of the content of those solicitations are written with AI. And they may or may not be, um, have other AI tools on the back end to accelerate the acquisition process. So this is totally gonna be a cat and mouse game. One of the things that I think John Teneglia brought up was like if there's AI on the proposal side and there's AI on the government side to sort of accelerate that process, do we start seeing the end of the 30 day solicitation period and we start going to something like two weeks? because y'all can write it with ChatGPT, like why not? So that flips the game theory again. Can you afford to not have AI in the proposal space if the government is slinging out solicitations faster and they're shortening the response periods? So interesting shifts that are gonna happen over the next 12 months. Man, that's uh, give me a lot to noodle on there. All the way down the wonk rabbit hole, man. I can go all the way to the bottom.
I don't think we have time to go all the way to the bottom. It may it may not have a bottom, right? <laughs> it probably doesn't. I mean, the far and the DFARs are what, like 5,000 pages together, something like that. So, and the 5,000 pages each. Wow. Each. 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 That's it. Your coffee book has to be two volumes each. Even if they're not 5,000 pages, the, the last page has to be like whatever the last page of the, the FAR is, like 5,007. And it's just going to have random. It's like buildings on a military base. I'm um, in building like 10. I need to go to building 11. Like it's next door, right? Like, nope. nope. <laughs> it's on the other side of the base. It's over by range 13. Is there a range 12? Yeah, like, oh, nope. Yeah, by 12? Like, nope. <laughs> nope. This doesn't make sense to anybody. Like, welcome to the government. <laughs> have you ever been to the G ring of the Pentagon? No? That's great. Welcome to the Pentagon. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, fun times. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that was that was therapeutic, interesting, cathartic. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that was, but that was definitely one of the more unique uh, interviews we've had. But I think we've left enough meat on the bone to maybe have John back. We'll see if this interview go gets terrible reviews and people are like, "What the hell was that?" Like, well, maybe not. But I think it, this might uh, might have a chance. A little little spiciness just to keep it interesting. I think it was a good uh, interview, John. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, you know, this is a uh, this is this is a people business. Bottom, I mean, if there's one thing I can leave the the folks who are just coming in, like th this is fundamentally a people business, and like the bureaucracy, the five sided wailing wall. It might all seem super intimidating, but at least the people in here, for the most part, if you can find a good crew. Um, are very welcoming so like don't give up get it out like find a group and um and just just build your network that's the best way to win work ah that's a great way to end this and for everyone that's listening we'll put a link for uh for john's linkedin follow him on linkedin he's got his blog on his accounts uh follow that blog it's got some very spicy takes looking forward to the coffee table book and out of the pictures and until next time we have you on, John, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, guys. Cheers.